Hi, I'm Marco. And I'm Marcy. And welcome to the Colored Pages Book Club. Yes, here we are for that mm. a bi-weekly podcast that focuses on fiction, fantasy, yes. and don't forget the and, the magical come on, realism. Come on, yes. <laughs> Written by writers <laughs> from colorful backgrounds. Ah, uh, yes, colorful backgrounds indeed. And y'all, today, mm. today, I... Go. I feel reborn. I am just, I'm ready. She's here. She's with it. We are going to be talking about my pick, <laughs> which is Just Above My Head by THE James Baldwin, which honestly, I just find it very interesting that we have made it this far in the podcast and somehow, we, to, okay, to be fair, we did talk about James Baldwin on another podcast, yes. but like not on our own podcast. It's like very, very interesting. So I'm very excited. I very much, this is very much like my, my literary crush for sure. <laughs> so just to give you all some background on who James Baldwin is, I mean, like not for nothing. Like, I mean, I feel like I low-key feel like this is unnecessary, but like I'm just going to do it um, and not assume anyone's experience. So let me just give some background on who James Baldwin was. So writer and playwright James Baldwin was born on August 2nd, 1924 in Harlem, New York. So one of the 20th century's greatest writers, Baldwin writes about the American experience. So using poetic prose, Baldwin translates the deep philosophical, emotional, and existential reality of the Black queer American experience onto paper. So his body of work includes works such as Go Tell It to the Mountain, Notes of a Native Son, If Bell Street Could Talk, The Fire Next Time, Giovanni's Room, which you talked about um, on, on, on your favorite book podcast. Check out Malavika, by the way. Anyway, Hello. and the book that we're going to be reading today, <laughs> Just Above My Head, just to name a few. So having lived through the Second World War, the Korean War, the Civil Rights Movement, and the Vietnam War, Baldwin articulates with fluency the hope, despair, intimacy, joy, and tragedy of the late 20th century in a way that transcends the past and resonates with us here today and will likely resonate with motherfuckers in the future. So that is James Baldwin. I am so, so excited to talk about this. Um... This is gonna be a really interesting episode. Also, I I got, yeah. I got some thoughts. I got some I, I got some thoughts. It's gonna it's gonna be real, real real really interesting. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting. I obviously James Baldwin is one of the greats. You know, we got Angela Davis, we got Toni Morrison, we got Audrey Lord, we got mm. James Baldwin. You know. The list goes on. Obviously, there's lots of grades. I have really people. People really don't understand how brilliant Black American literature and philosophical. Oh, like is. actually, it's it's actually absurd. I mean, it's. I personally think when we get to like 500 years from now, what is going to be most resonant about the American experience is going to be Black literature and Black philosophy, mm-hmm. along with other BIPOC philosophies, but. I, I don't understand why we pretend like this isn't just like a dearth of like beautiful, amazing human evolving thoughts and why that's so downplayed. But mm-hmm. that's my, I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm no, I mean, shit. I mean, clearly I'm with you on that. Absolutely. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, Agreed. <laughs> it's true. But um, so here's the other thing. We have a listener shout out. I know. Oh, yay. Okay. Here we go. So, you know who's, who's someone who probably does understand that James Baldwin is a great American uh, classical writer? Is Miss Newman, who, 
wrote and told us, yes, with two exclamation points, please keep doing exactly what you're doing. I've been listening every day since I first discovered you. I'm a language arts teacher and your discussions give me so much fire to help my students see things in bigger, more colorful ways Mm. and honor their individual voices. You're teaching me and now I get to teach them. Plus laughs. And then she gave us stars and a little heart. And yeah right (laughs) not as if Lewis and the babies wait uh oh my god this is actually really lovely yeah to hear it's beautiful miss newman hey thank you for listening to us we really appreciate you and also thank you for caring about your students and wanting them to see things bigger and more colorful like that makes us so happy and the idea that what we're saying would make some kid that we don't know and who might need, you know, someone who looks like us to, Mm. to tell them how beautiful they are. Um, and that's happening through you and through us is like, I feel like we're having a fun little symbiotic relationship. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for all the great work that you and I'm sure other teachers are doing. And I, I hope you're getting the support that you need and we just really appreciate your listenership. So Woo. And then. God damn, I could not have said that better. Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) Thank you so much. Absolutely. Yeah, we appreciate it. And then also, Juliet sent us an email. Y'all know you can throw us an email or inbox, right? Like, we actually love it. It's very exciting for us. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's an exciting time over here. (laughs) (laughs) And um, they told us about Trinidad and Tobago. And mm. if we had a question about this, and really we, I mean, I was strangely confused. And I like slick co-signed the question. I, I was also, I was, I was with you. I, 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 I'm gonna name that. Yeah. Oh, thank you, thank you for for not just letting, leaving me out to drown in the water. You're like, you know what? We're on this paddle boat together. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. I just jumped in. Um, speaking about needing a boat, Trinidad and Tobago are actually two. It's it's two islands in one country, so it's a dual island country, and it's the official name is the Republic of Trinidad and Tobago. It's the most southern most island country in the caribbean so thank you for that julia and also it allowed me to go and do a deep dive on this wonderful country and i learned a lot you know there was clearly some deep dive into colonialism because i can't help myself it was very informative and Mm. so we appreciate you sending us an email if anyone has any comments thoughts suggestions um maybe akko didn't pronounce something correctly or definitely switched up a word or two we would love to hear or you're like (laughs) y'all are just (laughs) the cat's pajamas we'd love to hear it (laughs) fucking Uh, up the cat's pajamas (laughs) can you imagine someone just puts this their header (laughs) the cat's pajamas (laughs) honestly we will change the goddamn show to the cat's pajamas (laughs) podcast and people will be like your previous title actually made more sense we're like yes but we it's 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 on principle at this point like if you leave us that comment we'll do it period i'm I'm swearing it into the future (laughs) but um I'm dead. Okay. No, but absolutely. I, to Aka's point, absolutely just want to co-sign super quick. We, we very much really, really, really appreciate when, when folks do reach out to us with their questions, their thoughts. Um, and these reviews are just really nice to hear. Right. Cause it's like, yes, like, I mean, certainly, I mean, I, you know, we both love making the show, but it's also nice to see like the ways in which like people are interacting with it, like mm. kind of how, like how it's, and it doesn't always even have to be positive. Right. But like, it's, no. it's just, it's nice to hear how, how this resonates with people right and so 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 we really want to thank i mean just anyone who's ever like 
left us a review, sent us an email, but also even just like thought of doing it or just like listened, period. Like, yeah. I, don't know, I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself here, but like, <laughs> we just, we just appreciate it truly because, um, you there is nothing forcing anybody to be y'all all can leave like nobody mm-hmm. has to be here and like the fact that people are electing to listen is is, is really really lovely so we just want to thank you just want to thank you we so, do we do yes. yes also you know something we don't really like in, emphasize in america a lot is the idea of a neutral emotion so you could leave us a review if you hate us. You could re- leave us a review if you like us. You could also just feel neutrally towards us. You know, you're like, eh. right. <laughs> when I'm buying apples in the grocery store, like it's nice to have some background. <laughs> 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 and they serve that purpose for me. <laughs> Speaking of things that America does not do so well, I have a question. Ah, uh, yes. So what is your question, love? <laughs> So in this book, there's a lot of scenes between people that are very intimate. And I've actually noticed in a lot of older American novels, there's a lot of um, sort of accepted or un, how do I say, unquestioned intimacy between people, various genders, without really much hesitation. It seems very natural, very normal. You know, even in terms of mm-hmm. endearment, like, oh, baby, or honey, or love, between people of various genders and like friends and, mm. and um, not necessarily romantic setting. But I, I kind of feel like that I don't see that as much in the present day. And I think America has kind of lost that sort of intimacy. And I, and I could be wrong. Obviously, I can't just assume the premise. Like the question is, how do you think America lost its intimacy? It's like, well, you have to assume <laughs> that it did lose its intimacy. So, you know, that's kind of a leading question. But if you agree with the premise, why? Mm-hmm. Why do you think it's lost it? And what is your idea of intimacy? It could be in a romantic setting or it could be not. And that's really the question. You can answer any, all, or none of the above. <laughs> <laughs> it's up to you. Oh, my God. I love this soup of questions. So, okay. So, as far as, like, on the if factor... I gotta agree with you, friend. I gotta agree with you because mm. I will say this: sometimes it's so it's so it's very interesting because I think especially as like a as a queer person who grew up in the you know '90s, early 2000s, like I I feel like I like I recall growing up and kind of trying to find any sort of signal of like a queer or like a queer energy a lot you know a lot of things being queer coded but not explicitly queer so I feel like I always mm. kind of had an eye of like what are the sort of physical indicators or the ways in which people are interacting, the words they're using, whatever, that might signal a level of intimacy that might signal queerness. And I think in that, yes, there, I mean, that, that's, I mean, I think that's very much a survival response for a lot of queer folks, but I think in that, it took me getting older to realize that like, it doesn't always have to give that. And that's fine, mm. right? Like, it's like, like there can be ways in which people express themselves or like look at one another and like, it doesn't have to be queer, not in a way that's like trying to erase queerness, but like, but just giving mm. space for like other ways in which people can interact or be intimate with one another that doesn't have to signal or like romantic or sexual interest. And it's interesting because specifically when I look at a lot of like older media, like, you know, I watch, I don't know, I watch like Good Times and like I listen mm. to a lot of like old school shit. And like sometimes like I'll see certain like album covers or certain outfits that like, I don't know, like I look at shit that like Earth, Wind and Fire used to wear mm. or like LTD, like all these different groups. And I'm like, like there's literally a like an album. Oh my God, I'm forgetting the name of it. But LTD has an album where like the cover is literally, it's like, 
seven or eight shirtless black men just like all up on each other and it's like but it's like not like i mean i mean to my to my knowledge yeah <laughs> i didn't read it as like a queer group i mean there i might be missing some history here so like clock me if that's the case but sure. just like things like that existed where it was like okay in a modern gaze like that would be like under like a sexual. fragile masculinity sort of toxic mm. you know like all of that like would kind of signal that i was like oh like that's gay like that's like this is hella gay uh, or like, this is way too expressive or like whatever um and I don't know, like I just I look at like a lot of the sort of the, the the older ways in which people used to interact or like the 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 ways in which they would express themselves and I'm like I don't know, like it, it kind of I feel like in that there was to your point more permission to be intimate um without it having to mean all of the things, right? Or even or even allowing room for there to be complexity and nuance there, right? Um mm-hmm. And so I guess as far as why I mean I guess like I'm I'm trying to think like like where would I even I mean I guess like I don't know I feel like there's like with with the US specifically I don't know you look at like I don't know fucking Nixon Reagan like you know the bushes mm-hmm. <laughs> like I feel like there was kind of this like American conservativeness that sort of mm. really started to fold like for I mean the the cold war like you know so much shit right where like the idea yeah. of what it meant to be American meant limitation meant kind of um hyper a reduction of freedom of, of of having to only exist in a very like rigid way kind of very much the idea of like power but at the, the at the cost of like so much right mm-hmm. at, at the expense of love Ooh. so i guess you could place it in sort of that space in the political I sense but that. also like even just like i think culturally things started to move there i don't think that's culturally transcendent but i think in a mainstream sense that might be why um we started to kind of see those shifts in like how people would sort of exist and I guess as far as like my own idea of what intimacy looks like, I mean, I think it's when I think of intimacy, I think of it on like a kind of a spiritual basis more than anything else. Like the mm-hmm. idea of navigating our lives without all the metrics of separation that were kind of socialized with right like i think Mm. i mean part of i mean this is i mean this speaks to the to the u.s but also i think a lot of like the western world of like this idea of like this hyper individualism that like you are on your own trajectory this is your life you're doing your thing this is your path like you 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 like i i i type of shit and it's like i think in that i mean there's a lot of issues with that type of culture right like there's i think there's a lot of um separation from close protective family ties or or not family in a large sense right not Mm. simply just the born into family but like a chosen family too right like i think there can be like i think the the culture we live in can just be very lonely Mm -hmm. um and when i think of intimacy and what that looks like i think it, it to me it feels like a coming back to this idea or a lifting up of an idea in a cultural sense that like I mean, yes, like we do have differences as people. Like, let's not like I'm. I'm not going to do this whole. We're just one human race. Like, yes, there are like very real differences in our lives, but ultimately speaking, like I mean, we. I don't know. Like, I'm not really separate from what's going mm-hmm. on around me. Like, mm-hmm. I inform what's taking place around me. Like, there's no like the degree of separation that I feel feel between myself and other people. Like, that's like that's artificial, right? Like, the, like the mm-hmm. idea of still being able to foster a human connection or that like despite whatever like languages we speak or whatever like there's still a way to like have a relationship to communicate to still you know exist and convey meaning and and learn and and appreciate and love you know like that still exists and so i just imagine it as like kind of the day-to-day just day-to-day actions that signal that um like just 
kind of an openness of, of, of how you approach people, how we, how we address one another, moving away from this idea that like, there's a compulsory normalcy that we have to maintain mm. or a compulsory like positivity that may not exist. Being able to just like kind of really just connect. And and this does something exist right already. Something authentic. Something actually authentic. Right. Yeah. And like in this, and I will say this does actually exist in, in, in both in communities that I've been a part of, but also just in general. But I think in a mainstream sense, like that's kind of what I'm positioning here. And And, and when it comes to things like touch and stuff like that, like I'm, I know that people have a very, like, you know, varying relationships with the idea of touch. I'm not going to say like we should just live in a society where we're just like, I don't know, always <laughs> kissing, hugging, doing all Everybody the things. Everybody touch each other. I know for myself, <laughs> I, I appreciate things like that, like that kind of physical touch. But like, mm-hmm. even if that's not someone's tea, like, like, you know, you can like even still being able to convey that same closeness or tenderness or an affection or appreciation through our words, through our actions. Um and just, I don't know, just remembering, like, just feeling a sense of responsibility for those around Ooh. us. Not in a way that, like, is, like, Burnism. is, right, right, or, like, makes it, or, like, paralyzing, but, like, I guess more so to a degree of, like, this idea is, like, oh, well, child, like, that's not, a, uh, you, okay, you're struggling, like, whatever. Like, it's, like, like yeah, feeling like some a, level of, like, okay, like, I can't swoop in and do all the things for you, but, like, it's not, this is, like. You're not alone. Uh, you're not alone in this. As someone that shares space with you, we exist in this community together. You know, even if we're just we're just intersecting with one another on on the street or whatever. Like it's like I don't know. Like I I can do some small act or something mm-hmm. here, or even if it's just like a smile or whatever, just something to signal that like you know. Yeah. I like I, I like I don't like we like you know there there's support here that like I can you know we can. And, and obviously there's nuance here in all of this, right? But I think that's mm-hmm. just on a cultural teaching level, that's kind of where my mind goes. So it's not necessarily fully sexual or physical, but um, just allowing, yeah, just that, that tenderness, that closeness, that centering Ooh, of a community. So. I love that. Tenderness. Yeah. Um, kind of a circuitous route, you know? We took a I little detour, it. kind of a couple of, you know, we up and down yeah. some mountains. We, you know, like mm-hmm. did some scuba diving at one point, but we got here. We made it. <laughs> We're here. We love to see it. Um, what do you think, friends? Um, sorry, I'm just like seeing us like we like it's like a triathlon. It's like we got right. <laughs> then we started swimming, then we started running. Um, but I agree with what you're saying. So I'm going to circle back, put a pin in it for this moment and then go back to why I think America has lost some of its idea of intimacy. Maybe this isn't across the board. Actually, it's not across the board. But I think there there's a culture of um First, I think it's fear. I think there's violence and fear. And I, mm. I'm, the first thing I'm going to go with <laughs> is slavery. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I do think ownership of people and, and genocide of people with the indigenous population is the quickest way to, you cannot have violence and intimacy in the same place. It's, it's mm. not going to work. Um, you can have a bastardization of intimacy and violence, which we'll see in this book, but you can't have like true healthy intimacy because a, intimacy requires a, a recognition of other people's humanity and not just a recognition, but a sharing in the humanity of other people, which requires a closeness that is a bit too sticky for violence. Mm. So if you're going to justify violence, you have to kill intimacy. So I think that's one thing. And and I think too, there was a, just a genuine, I think America was afraid of how 
how humanity would distort power, right? Because, you, you know, you leave people together for a long enough time, they're going to get to fucking. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I just, it seems to be a pretty, like, a pretty likely thing that if you just shut the door and don't put any rules on it, you're, you're like 20 minutes from that happening for humans. Because humans like each other. We're social creatures and we relate to each other when you don't put social limitations on us. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, humans also make social limitations. So I'm not saying that, you know, you know what I'm saying. But the point right. is, Laws were created specifically to stop intimacy, specifically to not allow the connection between you and another person to feed whatever machine, you know, the racist capitalist machine that America was Mm. building for the benefit of what people who owned land and who had power. So that's one thing. I think there's there's a death there. And it's not an immediate death. Because I think mm-hmm. a lot of people will be like, well, there was intimacy in the 1800s. You know, it's not an immediate death. I think it's a, a slow death, a slow one. And I think one of the biggest nails in the coffin, and why you see it still in this book and you why you don't necessarily see it now, is the 20th century. I think, one, the McCarthy era. I'm, I'm really going to blame homophobia here, especially when it comes to like... Mm. Um, increasing like hyper masculinity and this idea of of individualism and this idea of like never letting anyone see you in a vulnerable position and it goes back here to fear and violence because you know we kind of under discuss you know the fear and violence that came with the McCarthy era but as Mm -hmm. Marcy pointed out that era was like really violent. It was really isolating. It was really terrifying, right? It was, you weren't just, mm-hmm. you were, a, it was the Cold War. You were a communist. You were a terrorist. You're all sorts of ists that you should be blackballed <laughs> and left out of society. Right. You know, and, and a lot of that was targeted at queer people, specifically men, queer men specifically having any type of tenderness towards each other could be used to villainize. And then I think we just see that continuing through the 20th century, see more war, you know, we see mm-hmm. American imperialism, we see Korea, we see Vietnam, we see kind of the death of hope in the seventies and sixties and seventies. Right. And, and this violence continues. And so, and then you get the eighties and this like very deep capitalism, individual power, like power over everything mm. to fill the void of this sort of lost sense of community and togetherness. And that we were, you know, a country of people. I think that that died a lot with the Vietnam war and it died a lot with mm. the death of a lot of civil rights leaders. I think people should be very upset with the way the civil rights movement went down in terms of the government because the government tried very hard to kill to kill love hate mm-hmm. hate tried very hard to kill love and and with that i think a distance showed up because everyone was very disenchanted with mm-hmm. each other and with ourselves and with society and i think that's continued so and we've replaced that with power well if we can't have community intimacy we can have power i think uh the HIV epidemic and the government's response to that caused a lot of issues for American society, this fear of other people, you know, a lot of things. Mm. Um, You know, the drug epidemic, same thing, same thing. So anyway, uh, that's what I think did it in America, the U.S. specifically, because I I actually don't think other countries have the particular type of issue that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's very particular and it's very bad. <laughs> um, everything is funneled into it, it's almost it's embarrassing or disgraceful to have intimacy without some type of romantic or sexual connection. Right. 
it's everything's yeah. so calculated, you know, in in that sense. Yeah. So that's that's worrisome to me. Um, what is my idea of intimacy? Yeah, I had to kind of unlearn a lot of, I you know, I, I used to be quite terrified of, well, I mean, as a kid, I think I was less terrified than I became terrified. Then I had to remember that <laughs> I'm not terrified. Um, but maybe it's, I think it's, it's the same thing. <laughs> it was a microcosm of the larger American experience is what I'm trying to tell you. But mm. I, I do think, I love what you said about tenderness and responsibility. I think intimacy is a matter of humanity. It's a matter of you and me for just a moment. Not necessarily, it doesn't have to be a long moment. (laughs) I think people think intimacy is a very strong obligation. Mm. I don't don't think it has to be that serious, you know? Um, Tea, yeah. And I, so I think there are levels, right? And I think it's something you can practice, just like love is something you can practice as a philosophy. I think someone, you know, when you see a kid running around and they like drop something and you're like, hey, you dropped something, you give it back. That's a very intimate moment, right? It doesn't have to be a kid, it could be anyone, you know, you you open the door for someone. Politeness Mm -hmm. kind of intersects with it. A a genuineness though. Intimacy is genuine. It's authentic. It's a recognition of the humanity of people and even sometimes the weakness of people. It's a recognition of the vulnerability of people and the restraint not to laugh and make fun of and diminish. It is mm. a moment of, it's a, it's a different interpretation of a vulnerable moment. And I think right now vulnerability is associated with violence, with, with a weakness and therefore, well, you left yourself vulnerable. Guess we'll attack you. <laughs> well, right. you should have been, you should have kept your guard up. But intimacy right. demands that you sit in a place of vulnerability with someone and have the strength to not take the easy way out. It doesn't mean you can't mm. joke. Jokes are intimate too, but there are, you know, we all know what types of jokes are like, right. you're just taking, taking the piss out of someone and what Jones are like, a genuine sort of familiarity. I, mm-hmm. I familiarity too. That's maybe a, you know, a good word to be familiar, not so distant. But it all comes back to the same thing, right? Like to be familiar is to re- recognize that that person across from you is the same as you, and to say that mm. is that you're both human. Yeah, I don't know. Touch. Let me think. I don't. <laughs> I used to hate touch because I was so afraid of it. Touch is such a powerful thing, and I, that's why I, I do understand people's hesitancy towards it. I think. Yeah, I mean, again, it's it is the difference between like touching someone's arm and slapping them across the face. Touch is very powerful in both its good and its bad. I mm-hmm. think it's just something you just need to be careful about, responsible right. with. Um, but yeah, again, there are other ways to to like show your tenderness towards people. I have a tendency to call people very cute names <laughs> or just call them love. <laughs> mm, um, I used that, to call yeah, <laughs> and um. I think, you know, you can, you don't have to be so scarce with your affections, you know, a right. dearest or a, or a honey or a love, a sweetheart, or mm-hmm. even just like whatever, if your language, if your like language of choice doesn't use those words, whatever cutesy mm-hmm. thing you put at the end of things, uh, <laughs> use it <laughs> sometimes, you know, just, you know, just be a little sweet on people. It makes people right. stay a little bit like whatever (laughs) it's fun i mean for me that's what has always and i think it's the sweetness from people i don't even know that's been really wonderful in my life i I have so many little anecdotes of someone just being kind of sweet and Mm -hmm. i don't know it's it's 
yeah whatever okay and if yeah. something bad happens not a big bad thing but like a small bad thing like the person like rebuffs you or like doesn't care or like laughs at you like that's okay um mm-hmm. just keep going <laughs> just do something else <laughs> you have our like we're literally here comforting you being like it's okay <laughs> try it's <again."> right <laughs> <laughs> so oh my gosh anyway that's what i think i love that so much and this makes me recall i remember when i i forgot when this happened it was like early adulthood maybe like i don't know during college but i I remember there was a moment in my life where i realized that like there were these like kind of weird gender differences in how i would interact with people like i remember Mm. with women i was always very like oh hey boo hey love hey honey like whatever like you know very like hugs all day like very giving that and i don't know with with men it was it was kind of like case case by case. Like if it was like mm. another queer person, like it, it could give that. But like even then sometimes I was like, oh, I don't want to give off the wrong impression. Like I don't want to come off as like, I, I don't know, I have a crush on them if I don't. Yeah, it was like mm. it, 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 it could get muddy. And then I reached a point where I was like, girl, fuck out of here. Like, what do you mean? Uh, so I literally was like, yeah, like fuck all that. Like literally like regardless, I'm just going to like give this. Um and to your point, it definitely, it, it changes the game. And I'm like, it's, and it always, it always is funny when I'm like, I don't know, like, I, I don't know, I'm like interacting with like a cishet guy and I'm like, I don't know, meeting for the first time or whatever. And I'm like, oh, hey, like I go in for a hug and they're like going in for a handshake. And then like, sometimes if they're like, if it's like really fucking weird, I'll be like, oh, okay, girl, like, you, you do a lot. <laughs> um, we, we, we ain't got to do all that. Like, you know, we like, it's, take like, listen, we, we can do a handshake if you yeah. are really pressed. But like, um, but like, sometimes like there'll be moments where like, they're like kind of caught off guard, but like you can tell they're kind of delighted not even mm-hmm. like a way that's like sexual but it's like, I'm like oh like this is like kind of nice it's like a nice yeah. surprise so even just moments like that where i'm like oh that's like kind of sweet like i'm like in i don't know it's just it, it was one of those moments where i was like girl queerness is potentiality remember that oh girl? yes the fuck? so yes. oh yeah it was um yeah so like so saying what, what you said just now made me made me think of that but um yeah, yeah. absolutely i i love i love an affectionate some affectionate language to call people which to which to your point also took me time i i was not always like very affectionate with like my word choice but it just it really does change the game like these subtle ways that we change our language it really i don't know it, 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 it really does something lot. for sure yeah so and i was gonna say your point about it being gendered oh so 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 true um mm-hmm. i <laughs> i have started just using it across the board but you know, as a black woman that, I mean, doesn't always play well, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. I have my little tricks. One, another thing I I do across the board, which I think most people love is if you call them by their last name, as strangely in America, calling someone by their last name is far more intimate than calling them by their first name. Mm. Um, That's not true everywhere, but that's, yeah, (laughs) I like to do that because it's a very, it gives people enough space to not feel like you're, you're encroaching but it also gives them a little bit of like familiarity that makes them feel a little warm (laughs) and Mm -hmm. you can see it on their face it works well with with men who are not necessarily used to someone just being on a regular basis like kind of sweet to -hmm. them so and i i like what you said about the other thing i do i I just call people love across the board i and Mm -hmm. they kind of like look at me funny i'm like yeah all right i'll use your name next time is that right right (laughs) (laughs) it's not that serious but um the other thing too is your comment about the light um yeah i'm a sucker for this is why i think i I charm and crack jokes i'm a sucker for the moment someone sort of like gives this look where they're like a little amused 
Mm-hmm. And oh, that was what I was going to say. Intimacy, there's something about an indulgence. There's a little bit of indulgence in intimacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think, not in a, like, I don't know if people like use the word indulgence a lot in a way that's like, not like in the capitalist, like <laughs> everything has right. to be extreme. <laughs> Indulge. <laughs> <But> <laughs> Eat your ice cream. Have Jesus some more fun. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> you know, like you're watching a commercial. Indulgence is always like splurge, buy a, a, a yacht. And you're like, can we just do a small thing? Like, <laughs> did have to right. that? Anyway, but I do think in intimacy, there's a little bit of an indulgence where you're giving a little bit. And I think people get really scared of giving because they're afraid they don't have enough. But mm-hmm. if you, Oof. yeah, it's a scarcity mindset. But if you indulge someone a little, like you find their thing a little charming, you like give them your attention for a little bit of time, like really give them their, your attention and not in a manipulative way and still respecting mm-hmm. everyone's agency. I don't want anyone using this for, for crimes, okay? <laughs> don't go around charming people out of their money. But um, if you indulge people a little bit, I think you get their delight. And I think mm-hmm. the delight. Yeah, that's that's kind of the give and take of it and if you're scared of scarcity you know you you do get something back it's it's quite fun you know to right. to interact with people people aren't always terrifying i know that's what we've been taught about each other but we're not right, but <laughs> scary um no that's that's real mm. all right well we're gonna take a break but okay so when we come back complete tone change because the book's actually kind of oh. serious yeah so i guess we'll just put the trigger warning now so you can just skip the whole (laughs) section if you don't want to listen to it but yeah it's um child abuse incest sexual abuse violence yeah sexism some homophobia i mean granted like racism sexism homophobia kind of run the gambit of books but this the child abuse in this one and the sexual abuse is very strong yeah almost to the point that i was like can we read this book but we already copped out of one book this year so i guess we're just yeah. read all the others and that's yep yeah. other things happen too however this that yes. also very yes. much very much want to want to thank you aqua for lifting that up because absolutely that that um is it, very salient so you know we'll try to do like timestamps throughout this summary um but honestly, it might just run the whole game. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. But anyway, yes, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll get into part one of Just Above My Head by James Baldwin. Woo! So, yes. So, again, everyone, trigger warnings for the things that we mentioned in the previous section. We'll also give space when we're actually doing the summer itself to make sure people have a space to to take care of themselves as we're doing mm-hmm. this. But, too, like all things, like this, this is also a very multifaceted tale. There's other things going on as well. So, okay, Mars, let's just get into it. Okay. Okay, so boom. So, the story here is kind of like a slice of life so the mm. way that it's told it's kind of you know it's non-linear it's kind of giving you various plot points at the beginning um some things that are like hinted at but later, later fleshed out it's sort of like the, the temporality is played with a lot in this book mm. um 
So the book is actually narrated by one Hall Montana, who's brothers with a guy named Arthur Montana, who actually passed away at the very beginning of the book at age 39. Well, I mean, I say he died. He was actually murdered. So Mm -hmm. we don't actually know how yet, but it's implied that Arthur died like a pretty violent death in a London pub. So... Arthur was like a pretty famous like gospel singer um, who actually started singing at like their local church with his friends Peanut, Crunch, and Red. We'll hear more about them. But basically, Arthur started off in a quartet and then kind of mm-hmm. became like his own standalone kind of artist, kind of giving like a, like a Destiny's Child like type yes. of like a Beyonce type of energy. Um, so although Kelly yes. did have some bops early on, and later listen, on. I mean, I mean, Kelly still got. I mean, listen, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the people yeah. sleeping on, on, on Kelly, mm-hmm. but I mean, she she really out here wearing it out. Anyway, um, was so what was it with Nelly? Oh my God, what was that song? And they're in the neighborhood, and her hair is cut short. Oh my God, wait. Oh, uh, I feel like y'all about to come for us and be yeah, like, are y'all fucking are serious? Be so mad, <laughs> not us <not> being clocked. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep going but, i'll try to remember <laughs> right <laughs> maybe we can redeem ourselves by the end of the plot summary anyway <laughs> um so yeah so basically so arthur kind of lived this life as a gospel singer you know he started off in that quartet we kind of get the vibe well not the vibe but we know from hall's narration that like peanut crunch and red kind of um experienced some unfortunate fates as well after the group broke up and, and it's kind of implied that it's because of um so the, the so the book was actually when when, when were all of them born do we know like the year. Let's see. They're in the Korean Wars. They're probably born like the late thirties. Yeah. Early forties. Yeah. So around that time period, because basically, yeah, around the time that Arthur and all these and all these folks were reaching adulthood, the Korean War was happening. So a lot of them had gotten drafted, Hall included, actually. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so so the book basically starts out more so in current day and then kind of goes back in time. So um, we learned from Hall that he was about seven years older than Arthur and he was actually Arthur's manager and always kind of felt this very heavy sense of responsibility over him. And so when the book starts, we we know, we find out that Arthur died, but he died about two years ago from, from the present moment. Um, so we're seeing everything from Hall's point of view. So right now he's married to a woman named Ruth, who not for nothing is like, oh no, she could be given more character development mm-hmm. and like, I don't know, like, like a, like a personality <laughs> like an agency yeah. like that could be happening but also isn't happening um so we hate to see it but anyway but basically <laughs> they have two kids named tony and odessa so ever since arthur died hall has been like completely overtaken by grief and like really yeah. just has a hard time like being around other people like just dealing with a lot of anxiety and, and things panic attacks and such so there's one day where Ruth decides, okay, let me take Tony and Odessa, and we're actually going to go to our family friend Julia's house for, for like a little barbecue. So to get some context, so there's like a whole family tree situation. We'll try to explain everybody as they're coming up. But basically, Julia is a family friend and the older brother of a guy named Jimmy, who yes. was Arthur's lover when Arthur died. So like Dilemma. That basically the li- Dilemma. Yeah. That's, yes. No, sorry. That's the Kelly and Nelly. The Nelly and oh. <laughs> yeah. We have redeemed ourselves. We love to see it. Dilemma, y'all. Anyway, so 
Everybody went to Julia's house and they're like, girl, we got to dance to Dilemma. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> dead. Continue. <laughs> like, fucking 19, what, like 70? Like, right. I don't know. Anyway. Um, but yeah, so Julia is a family friend and then the older sibling of, the older sister of Jimmy, who was Arthur's lover when, when Arthur died. So, Hall at first doesn't want to go to Julia's house. He's like, okay, girl, let me go. Like, whatever. Like, let me go listen to Dilemma. So, he goes over to Julia's house and he talks to his son, Tony, who, like, he has, like, a very strange relationship with I don't know mm. yeah, I'm still trying to par- I'm like do you like Tony like it's it's unclear it's, um, does he like but, anyone <laughs> like also that um, but like basically Tony is talking to Hall and it's like hey so you know like you know Tony's like what like 13 14 something like that mm. um, he's like yeah you know like a lot of the kids at school are saying like a lot of homophobic things about Arthur they're calling him like homophobic slurs and stuff like was Arthur gay like blah 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 and basically Hall is like look like I mean yes Arthur loved men throughout his life but at the end of the day like it's not about like labels and all this shit like you know i love my brother down and it's about loving for you it's about loving your uncle and who he was and shit not for nothing like i mean i also loved a couple men in my day too so shit where yeah, he and really I was like, he like slick mentions it but also like doesn't go into it he just right like, and i was like okay, okay. <laughs> so like so tony was like okay so that was actually more tea than i anticipated like i actually only brought <laughs> one mug but needed multiple i'm uh, okay so <laughs> Basically, everyone goes back inside. Tony, Odessa, Julia, Ruth, everybody. So everyone's, like, eating. Like, it's very much giving, like, black, like, family vibes. Um, mm-hmm. And Julia's, you know, it's her house. So she's kind of, like, reminiscing, telling stories about the old days, things going on. She actually pulls out this, like, photo album where she's, like, pulling through. She's, like, showing the the kids, like, pictures. She's kind of, like, skipping through a lot of the pictures of her childhood specifically, which, which for reasons we'll get into. But, you know, from this, too, we're also seeing that, like, you know, they're, they're, she's bringing up other people from from their past. So mm-hmm. she brought up the fact that she recently ran into Red, who you remember was one of the members of like Arthur's quartet and basically was like, yeah, like I saw Red and he actually like recently, you know, he's, I mean, he's basically been like living with drug addiction for like, I don't even know how many years at this point. Yeah. And so she saw him and it was nice, but it was also kind of like, you know, sad seeing him in that, in that state. And Julia tells the kids and everybody that, you know, like she actually was a youth minister. Like as a, as a kid, she used to preach and like, you know, had this whole following and it was like this whole thing. And like basically, how she and Arthur got really close is that like you know Arthur would sing and so sometimes they would like you know do engagements together and stuff like that and so this is all happening it's like whoop 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 we love to see it Jimmy ends up coming over so Jimmy again mm-hmm. is Julia's brother and Arthur's I guess ex-lover he, so Jimmy comes over very much giving like <laughs> heavy uncle energy like just like a heavy uncle energy that we love we love to see um, it we love to see it and so like Jimmy and Hall are catching up you know like whoop 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 basically Jimmy tells Hall like oh yeah you know the past couple years i've been kind of going on this tour of basically places that like arthur used to love kind of like reliving some of those like physical like spaces which is like really lovely and in saying this it's very obvious that jimmy obviously feels a lot of ways about this but it's kind of keeping his keeping some of his accounts closer to his chest not really wanting to divulge everything Mm. um tony is witnessing all of this like he's like hanging out with like hall and jimmy like like just like listening in like very much being in grown (laughs) folks business and i'm like tony like i'm not mad because like i mean i i I too am Tony, you know? So anyway, um, so <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> we, all of us reading are Tony. Okay, sorry. Right. Like, <laughs> like we, we all are Tony. Um, so that's how the book kind of starts. So, so the way the book is written is that like, you know, it'll have sections called book one, book two, whatever, whatever. So that was book one. Basically we're going to get into book two now. 
So, and for context, we read up until book four. Mm-hmm. So book two starts out with with a memory. So all of this is like taking place in the past. So mm-hmm. in this memory, Hall is 18, Arthur is 11, Julia is nine, and Jimmy is seven. And so the section actually starts out with Julia as a child preacher. She's giving this sermon about David and Goliath and like honestly left the church speechless. <laughs> child, I listened to this on audiobook. I was left speechless. I was mm-hmm. like, I am nobody's Christian, but Julia has my wig completely snatched <laughs> on this here today. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, um, yeah, it was, you know, it was it was it was it was sickening. So um, anyway, so basically, we're seeing Julia in action. This was sort of the Montana. So the Montana family is again Arthur Hall and their parents Florence and Paul, um, and they meet the Millers, which is like Julia and Jimmy's family. Um, yeah. And basically, and the, Amy and Joel, I think, are the parents. Yeah, Amy and Joel are, are the Miller parents. Yes, thank mm-hmm. you, Akko. Um, let me not just leave out motherfuckers <laughs> in the story. So basically, the Millers, Julia and them, invite the Montanas. Arthur and them over for like, you know, like a post church lunch, which also post church lunches, which is, ooh, just always used to hit. Anyway, so in this interaction, we see that there's a lot of family dynamics at play at the Miller household. So, so the main thing that we're kind of witnessing uh, in their I think inter- they were at the Montana household because they leave in the end. You right. Correct. <laughs> um, so they had the Montana household, my bad. Um, but we see a lot of dynamics with the Miller <laughs> family. Yes. So the main thing that we're seeing is that like Julia is basically kind of like a child star, essentially kind of like with a religious twist to it. Yeah. Um, her family kind of depends on her preaching for income and they kind of defer to her on like every, for everything on a spiritual basis um, and believes that everything that she says like comes from like God, which is like, I mean, Julia is like literally nine years old. So like a lot of obviously a lot of pressure on on. A Mm -hmm. child um and i would say that's not a responsible parenting decision like at all and so florence and paul agree with us by the way so oh yeah like florence and paul are like y'all doing a lot with julia like i mean she's literally nine but like go off the family also kind of neglect not even kind of they neglect jimmy a lot and Julia's mother, so Amy, will often take out her jealousy on Julia, out on take it out on Jimmy, mm-hmm. and like Julia's dad, Joel, like kind of dealt on her and defers to her all the time to like a very unhealthy degree. So the reason why we were putting all this together is basically like at the Montana household, there was a situation where like Amy, so Jimmy's mom, like slapped him in the face like super hard, and so. Hall and, and and Arthur basically took Jimmy to get ice cream to kind of like ease the tension. And, you know, it, it was a very it was a very like sweet moment of them kind of like comforting Jimmy and like kind of yeah. getting him together. So when they end up coming back to the house, there's like, you know, we're seeing there's like a, this very tense conversation going on between like the like the Montana parents, so Florence and Paul and Amy and Joel, the the Miller parents. I wish their names were like different. Like their names sound way too similar. Anyway. They do. Uh, <laughs> right. Like they're really fucking similar. But basically, um They're Florence also all Paul... nondescript except for Florence. Exactly. Paul, Amy, Joel. <laughs> Joel, like, okay. what the fuck? Anyway. Um, so basically, you know, Paul and Florence are like, look, like, I mean, Julia, I, I get it. Like, you know, I'm sure holds wisdom, but like, y'all putting her on a whole ass pedestal. Yeah. Y'all not for nothing interrupted Jimmy. Like, that slap was completely unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Julia kind of... Ent- Right, like they're literally children, like let them be children. But Julia basically interrupts and is like, y'all are like disrespecting my family. Like y'all are like questioning God. Like this is not what we're doing here, blah, blah, blah. So like she leaves. And so then I guess the so the Millers are like, I guess we leaving too because Julia leaving. And it was just kind of like, what the fuck is mm. going on? So basically 
From all these dynamics, we know that neither Arthur nor Hall like Julia, honestly, at all at this <laughs> point. Like, they don't, I mean, yes. it's kind of like, a, okay, I have proximity to you, but I'm not really fucking with you for real. Mm. Um and so, and then also, too, we learn a little bit about, like, you know, like, the backstory of, like, Arthur's quartet. I'm not sure how relevant some of this is, so I kind of skip through some of this. <laughs> yeah, Basically, we, we learn that Peanut um, lived with his grandmother, who, like, hated black people. Crunch was, like, just dreadfully beautiful. Like, just too beautiful, I guess. Um, and the, <laughs> <laughs> he just opened the door, like, and it's, like, a godlike array. <laughs> <laughs> like, <he> like <laughs> inconveniently beautiful. Like, it's just, like, fuck, like, you're just so beautiful. Like, I guess that's the struggle <laughs> we're experiencing. Oh, right. I want to start describing. I mean, that person is just dreadfully gorgeous. Like, like just like, <laughs> like, appall- like, inconsiderately beautiful. Uh, like, I just don't, like, like, what are the rest of us to do? You know, like, I just, like, why'd I even show up, you know? <laughs> um, so that's like Crunch's tea, I guess. And like, oh, Crunch is also, like, I guess, really close to Red, who otherwise doesn't really have much of a personality thought, up to this I point. Peanut was close to Red. Didn't one of them say the one is their heart and something like that. I thought, Crunch I thought it was, was Red. Oh, I don't. Like, girl, it's fine. They're all friends. They friends. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so, like, so that's kind of like their whole quartet. So around this time, so Paul, who, again, is Arthur and Hall's father, is a pianist. And so he was trying to low-key dissuade Arthur. Like, he knew Arthur was really into music. He loved to yeah. sing and stuff. And he tried to, like, get him out of music. But, like, that only made Arthur want to do it more. And so Paul was like, well, shit. I mean, I guess if you, you know, it was Arthur and your little friends. Like, I guess I'll teach y'all some piano lessons or whatever. <laughs> So, says it just like that. He's like, I guess I'll teach you piano or whatever. Like, literally, he was like, I guess. <laughs> so, like, basically, around this time, Paul confides in Hall, who, again, is, like, 18. And he's like, look, I'm actually really worried about Arthur loving mm-hmm. music because, like, I mean, I, I li- listen, I, I've, been, I've been true to this shit for a minute. And I have a lot of friends who've done music who, they great at music, but they are tragic or incompetent in, like, every other way. Like, it, it's not an easy life. So, basically, mm. Paul's like, I'm just I'm just a little, little bit worried. I also Hall's think- like. I think mm-hmm. I think music is a stand-in for being gay, and but not I, I because Hall is obviously also queer. But I think Arthur is mm-hmm. more legibly queer, perhaps, yeah, even from a younger age. Definitely, Maybe. definitely. That that makes a lot. That makes that's what I was. Lot. I was like, yeah, you're yeah. upset about him wanting to be a musician, huh? That's. I mean, I right. guess sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But also, is it? Is it a musician or the type of musician that he right. he invokes from people? But anyway, exactly. I think that might even be a little too simplistic because maybe they talk a lot about Arthur being beautiful and people wanting to destroy beautiful things. So I think there's a level of fragility with Arthur, sort of evanescence that right. leads him. But anyway, continue. No, that definitely that's real. And also, I mean, I, guess, I mean, not to, like not to. Sp- oh, sorry. I'll just. Well, I was just thinking to be an evanescence black masculine identified person during that time queerness is probably is what he's kind of like queerness outside Mm. of just sexuality is probably his fear you know what i mean like right and his inability to hide it there's a there's a little vivek og ishness Mm. anyway continue sorry yeah no definitely definitely i mean and also too i mean paul I mean, not to spill all of Paul's tea, but Paul also was like, to Hall was like, I mean, look, I've also loved a man or two back in my day yeah, as well. Like, listen, and so I think there's there's a proximity to yeah, and, and understanding, right, yeah. what exactly this could this could about. entail too. Yeah, so yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, so um, 
It's all very interesting. And Hall is also like, that is also very interesting. But um, I actually have to pick up my girlfriend, Martha, <laughs> who you all don't really know anything about, who doesn't really have that much development. No. Um, funny enough, kind of like Ruth. Like, I guess, like, mm. she's just like another, just like, I guess, the character. Wow, sure. Really? Like, fun. Um, and they Girl's were like, oh, like, let's get like Christmas anything. gifts. And it was like, ooh, fun. Like, truly not a plot. Anyway, so basically, so going back to, I guess, the, the A plot. Um, so. <laughs> Peanut, Peanut Crunch, Red, and Arthur have like their debut performance and like literally slay the house down. They do. Afterwards, everybody goes to the Miller's house. So again, that's Julie and Jimmy's house. And they find out that Amy, so Julia's mother, is like sick, but like they haven't been taking her to the doctor because Julia said that the Lord would save her. Um, And Joel was like, oh yeah, that's totally right. Like Julia said Mm -hmm. that like... I guess we shouldn't take Amy to get right. Like my nine-year-old daughter, like... Well, I guess now she's 13, but he's like, oh, like, fuck medical care. Like, we good. Like, it's fine. Um, mm. So Florence also, and I Paul. Think, I think she had a miscarriage. Uh, she also, maybe. that is true. She had a miscarriage like a year before yeah. she got really sick, too. So I think there's something that they're like, oh, there might actually be something wrong. Like, it's not just like, eh, maybe it's a long-term cold. <laughs> maybe, like, it's like, no, you need to see a doctor. Like, um, Right, like, it's, it, it definitely speaks to, yeah, something, yeah, definitely something uh, more serious. So, Florence, Joel, Hall, all hear this. Florence, in particular, is fucking furious. She's like, Joel, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, take her to a doctor. Have you lost yeah. your fucking mind? And then also, weirdly enough, everyone's mad at Julia for this situation because they're like, oh my god, Julia should not have recommended that Joel, a grown-ass man, not take Amy, like, another grown-ass person, <laughs> right, to, to a doctor. Right. And like, I, is Julia- this, this should not be Julia's area of expertise. Period. <laughs> Coloring Ju- books? Yes. Crushes? Maybe. Yes. Sandwiches? Maybe, sure. maybe some algebra. Maybe giving algebra. some biology teas. But Look like that's that. not, I don't think Julia need to be worried about anything else but these goddamn textbooks. But you know what? Whatever, yes, she fine. needs to be studied. That's what, if, if this was an African family, she'd be like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> well, you, it's books and then <laughs> Jesus is in your books. That's what they would have told her. You you know what Jesus made this textbook. You know what you. You know how we can honor Jesus. You need to read this goddamn textbook. It's not wasting Yo. my time. What do you mean? You're a child. You're 13. Get the fuck out of here. Talk about some. I gotta preach on Sunday, girl. Take your ass to math class. Anyway. Um, Good to you. So yes, I, I don't know who's parents. Right. So like. Y'all clearly just got an insight of how I was raised because, like, I don't know whose voice just came out of my mouth. That was literally some, like, I don't know who that. Anyway, um, <laughs> what are we talking about? Oh, yeah. So basically, during this, like, dramatic ass um, day, Joel, Hall, and Paul, oh my God, these fucking names, they all go to, like, this bar. Hall meets a man named Sydney who. Mm. I mean, they just have, like, a very lovely interaction. It's, like, very clear that Hall has, like, a really big crush on Sydney, oh, yeah. Or, like, there, there's, there's at least some, like, infatuation, some adoration mm. here. Um, some and so, if you will. Yeah, there's a little something going on. So later on, Hall's like, oh, I guess I have to meet up with Martha, who I guess still we don't have time to, like, put development in. Um, and, like, <laughs> basically she... This book so, is really long. It's so long. It's, like, really and long. Yet, <laughs> and <were> yet... Like, <laughs> Same thing with Grace of Kings. Like, a lot of pages does not mean equal development of characters. Anyway, sorry. Right. (laughs) So, 
like, so like Hall, Martha, and Sydney, who still has more development, um, all meet up at this bar and like it's like very sweet, like whatever, whatever, whatever. We see that Martha and Hall. So okay, so they're like together, but like I don't know. I think no. they're, they're they're there's kind of a mis they get like a disconnect a little bit in their relationship. Um, I don't think they fully really understand one another or their priorities. Yeah. Um. And I don't know, there's a lot of gendered, like, I don't know, like, what do women think? And I'm just like, I don't know, like, Martha's a person. I mean, also a woman, but a person. I don't know. I feel like these are things that can be communicated, discussed. Like, I don't know. I don't think women as a group is like a monolithic uh, response to that. But um, especially something like, I don't know, thinking, which is like so, whatever. Um, Hall could have done a little bit more work to figure out what Martha was thinking. Right. Talking about. But yeah, but Martha, for context, we do know that she is a nurse at Harlem Hospital. And so she, so this whole night with Sydney and all that, basically they end up through like all the... I don't know, whatever happens throughout the night. They end up meeting up with like Florence and Arthur and Martha learns about Amy's situation. And so Florence is like, oh, you're a nurse. Perfect. Like maybe we can go see if we can like mm-hmm. get Amy, like take her to the hospital, whatever. So the next day, Florence and Martha end up going to Joel's house. Um, They're like, oh, look, like is Amy here? Like we just want to like, you know, take her out, whatever, whatever. And basically Joel's like, oh, like, well, Julia took her to go like out somewhere. So like guess you can't go with y'all and they're like and the whole scene was just like low-key kind of creepy and weird so they were like i'm gonna get the fuck out of here um i was like joel is creepy and weird yeah he's just like fucking weird switching back momentarily to hall hall's having like a very emotional experience because like he's also being drafted soon into the Mm -hmm. korean war and so there's a there's a moment where he like goes to the bar where sydney works and like he like bursts into tears and is like really vulnerable and shortly thereafter he's actually drafted into the war he goes to korea and the next part is kind of told from Hall's perspective, but he's getting letters from Arthur. So we're kind of getting from Arthur's point of view, like a brief overview of like the events that were kind of taking place during Hall's absence, which I'll let Akko kind of hop in here. Ooh, fun. Okay, yes. So, yes, as Marcy pointed out, the second half of book two is told from Hall's perspective getting Arthur's letters. So even Hall admits that he doesn't entirely know everything that's going on. He just kind of has a brief overview and it's all from Arthur's perspective. And they're also in letters sent across the ocean in the 1970s during a war. So there's not a lot Mm -hmm. you can put on the card, you know, it's not like, and also to give more context, see footnote B, um, (laughs) addendum four. Subsection A, (laughs) Roman numeral six, right. Exactly. You got to pay for postage. So anyway, um, so Arthur (laughs) tells all that he's on tour with peanut crunch and red before they also get drafted. Arthur's actually too young to get drafted, so he stays behind. And we also hear that Arthur's been spending more time with Julia. We also hear that Julia's been spending more time with Crunch before he goes off to war. It's interesting that Arthur would think to mention that for reasons we'll get into, but Mm -hmm. seeing it from Hall's perspective, he doesn't know everything that's going on. So then Mm -hmm. Amy dies shortly after that. So that's Miss Miller, Julia's mom. Uh, But before she dies, she kind of... (sighs) I think Amy was probably abusive to Julia most of her life, but she basically mm-hmm. on her deathbed gives one final blow. He, she kind of blames everything on her. She's like, I knew you were a fake and a phony and you're not with God. And you can hear a subtle kind of blaming her for 
her father's actions and their quote unquote ungodly relationship, which again, just so everyone can be reminded, Julia's 13 and not responsible for anything that's happening. And her mother should mm-hmm. definitely be protecting her and that's not happening. So basically we are blaming the victim, the daughter for the actions of adult people who are causing violence to her. Mm-hmm. Um, Julia goes home shortly after and tells her dad that she doesn't want to be a preacher anymore. And he basically tells her that she's the breadwinner of the family and guilts her and says, you're going to leave us out in the cold. We're not going to have any money. How are we going to support the family? You don't mean it. And, and, you know, the creepy thing about Joel is he's he looks very presentable and very polite. But there's something very mm-hmm. seedy and creepy and scary underneath the facade. Mm-hmm. Then he kind of blames her. He was like, you wanted to get your mom out of, out of our lives. You wanted to get rid of her. This is what you wanted. And then he proceeds to sexually assault her and and rape her. Um, Later on, Julia gets pregnant from the rape. And I mean, I'm pretty sure it's her dad's kid. I don't think they say that just yet in part one. And then Mm -hmm. her dad, Joel, beats her so badly that it causes the pregnancy to terminate early. Which then the father gets jailed for. (laughs) And Julia ends up going to her grandmother. So this is how Arthur explains it in the letters. This is what Hall sees. Book three, we kind of, it's kind of like the letters in depth from actually Arthur's perspective. I did wonder, right. like, from a literary point of view, how this happened. Like, did Arthur, like, raise from the dead and tell the story? Like, because it's from Hall's perspective, but it, then it just switches to just Arthur telling it, kind of. Anyway, it doesn't right. matter that much. Like, I'm not going to go in on the, like, literary devices used, but... All right, that's some levity. Here we go. So book three <laughs> gives more details of <laughs> Arthur and his friend's musical tour of the South. And it's, again, it's Crunch Peanut Red and their manager, Webster, who like, Webster? Sure. Anyway, and they... <laughs> like, who the fuck? Fine. Like, <laughs> I like how I'm fine with Crunch and Peanut, but I'm like, Webster. Webster is right. a fine name, everyone. You know, <laughs> Webster is fine. Anyway, they names aren't real. They're just social constructs. So then they go, they visit Nashville, Atlanta, D.C., New Orleans, to name a few places. You know, they're whatever. They're singing, singing churches. They're, they're whatever. They're singing, making money. Actually, they're not making right. that much money, to be honest with you. Um, but the book describes kind of the different, it, this part is more about the feeling. So Baldwin is kind of explaining the feeling, the affect of being in the South, and it's using kind of this tour as a conduit, you know, so you take these boys who are raised in New York and you bring them down to the South and just like for context, like Baldwin's around like the peak Jim Crow peak, you know, mm, yeah. lynchings and violence in the South. Um, and so he describes really effectively this, this unsettling sense of dread that the boys feel, um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the dread is real. But the the tour is going well. The singing that part's that part's great. It's oh, just, sickness! Yeah, oh yeah, they're doing that's a wonderful. It's just after when you step outside, you know that's the rough. It's everything else. Anyway, so one day they're in a church eating, and Arthur ends up talking to this one woman, and and eh, woman is a strong word, a teenager, and it's a dark conversation. She basically is like, "Look, you are young and beautiful, so you should be careful because they kill beautiful young boys out here just like for shits and giggles on a Saturday." And you're like, "Wow." America really needs to sit with its past because the 20th century apparently was just like a horror film that we just all pretend didn't happen. Anyway, so Arthur Mm. feels that dread, obviously, until he's really worried about Crunch, who went off with some girl to drive in a Cadillac or something. I can't really remember. It's a side plot. And so he's Mm. kind of worried. He's like looking for Crunch. 
I don't know. I guess he's not that worried though, because they ends up just him and that girl end up just like fucking somewhere and no. <laughs> like going about their business. Oh, are you gonna ask me what the girl's like character development was and her personality and what her trajectory and becoming was? I don't know, listeners, because they also <laughs> didn't tell me. <laughs> Anyway, so <laughs> Crunch eventually meets back up with everyone at the hotel and the two start mm-hmm. talking about life and racism. And it's like Crunch is like, I didn't actually even sleep with that girl in the car. We just drove around town like it was fun or whatever, which is an interesting discussion of masculinity and performing sexuality. But anyway, so they talk about social disparities <laughs> and existential pain and, and Crunch's mom, I believe, was a sex worker and he feels like she feels ashamed and he feels like she feels he looks down on her and it, it pains him because he doesn't look down on her and he, he doesn't feel that way. And America and capitalism and massage noir and it, everything's terrible. Everything's just the worst. And I agree, Crunch. And everyone's just sad and Arthur's trying to comfort him. And they're all having oh, a God. moment. And right. then they just start making out because apparently wow. that's what people do. <laughs> Which, you know, maybe it's just been a cliche for time immemorial, immemorial. <laughs> honestly. I'm at the point where I'm like, maybe I'm wrong. Y'all, this keeps maybe I'm not doing it right. <laughs> right. Like, maybe, I don't know. Maybe this is, this is literally, yeah, anyway. So they start making out or whatever and they kind of confirm their, it's actually a very cute, very intimate scene. It's very adorably written adorably mm-hmm. is not even doing it justice it's beautifully written and very descriptive and raw and honest okay so after that their romance they're like thank you for the commentary okay after that their romance kind of blooms <laughs> um and they you know they're they're very sweet or whatever however there's a war happening the war that will benefit them zero percent because they're african-american and a racist america that would sooner lynch them than give them rights and because they will have like no social or political prosperity from this but hey you know what America's allowed to draft whoever it wants, apparently. So their lives right. are allowed to be disrupted for violence uh, oh, on the behalf of other people. Real, real, anyway, that's looming over them quick. as they try and fall in love. What? <laughs> real quick. So yeah. I guess to, to, so ages, I think Crunch is what, like 19? Yeah. I think. And Arthur's, I think, 15 16? in this. Yeah. 15, 16, I think. Yeah, something like that. Okay. He might, it, Crunch is, yeah, that's correct. That's that's accurate. Um, And then I think. Peach, not peach, peanuts and red are about 17 maybe at this point. 17, yeah. 18. Anyway, peanut, speaking of red and peanut, they kind of catch on to their little, the little, the energy or whatever. I don't know if they know that they, they like each other. Maybe they do know. I don't know. They start calling them Romeo and Romeo and, and Loverbirds. And then like Webster, their manager. Oh like, my God. <laughs> there's like oh a, irrelevant. I'm going to throw up. <laughs> yeah. But Webster's like, Oh, are you guys? He kind of like questions them at first. You're like, oh no, is this gonna be like a homophobia thing? He's gonna, you know. But then he's like, well, it's worse than that, I guess, because he's like propositions them for sex, and they're like, like Arthur and Crunch, literally. Yeah, like Arthur's a fucking minor, and okay, yeah, whatever. He's supposed to be taking care of them, and Crunch is like, <laughs> no. So <laughs> maybe we don't mention this again, and maybe you just pay us and let us go. Yeah, so that happened. So Arthur and Crunch hang out in D.C. for a while. They kind of want like a last intimate moment before they have to head back to New York where like reality kind of sits back in. Then speaking of heading back to New York, they do get back to New York. And while there, Crunch runs into Julia and she seems very different from what he remembers. She's really skinny. She doesn't preach anymore. He was kind of expecting her sort of, you know, over the top, like 
<laughs> and like, exultations that she typically would right. have. But and no. God, and it's like, well, I mean, you haven't <laughs> seen Julia in forever. I don't think she would immediately hop into all of that. Uh, apparently, she used to. I mean, again, she was a child. Uh, she's still a child. She's only like fourteen when he comes yeah. back, which makes the rest of this just so worrisome. Anyway, so. Crunch and Arthur meet up with her at her house because Florence is really worried. Really, Florence is the only one concerned, and that's probably why Florence gets a gold star. Anyway, and she's like, can you just go <laughs> see Julia for a while and say something to her? And they get there, and they're like, Joel is still- Like Crunch and Arthur get there? Yes, Crunch and Arthur get to, to the Miller's place, and Joel is well-dressed and polite, but again, creepy. There's just an underlying creep happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's like, well, wait right here. I'll go get, go get Julia. So, you know, she comes down, they start talking about what happened. It, it's just very clear that something is wrong and she's lonely and sad and needs support. And she's like, I just want to go find my brother, Jimmy, who's down in New Orleans with my grandmother. He just, that's really my only goal right now, which I don't know. I think that's poor writing again. I'm sure her, you know, she has other goals. Maybe this is a stand in for what she actually wants, which is to get out of this. And that's right. just a more you know, tangible goal in her head, but it could also be <clears throat> male centric writing that doesn't understand that women have other goals that might not include taking care of a man. Anyway, Crunch ends up meeting with her a couple <laughs> of days later and she hints at the sexual abuse. She doesn't hint. She really just tells him about the sexual abuse and makes him swear not to tell. And then she's like, and again, this is all Crunch's fault. Um, <clears throat> I'm really kind of annoyed by everyone's behavior here, but no, literally, uh, she's like, you know, can you, can I sleep with you? Can I sleep with you to make that not feel like the most like salient thing in my life? I just want someone who I don't, who isn't abusing me to <laughs> touch me. Um, mm. And Crunch decides that that's a good idea. Crunch is 20. Shouldn't have done that. Terrible idea. I just want to point out that no one's watching out for Julia. Not Crunch, not her father, not her mother, not Arthur. Maybe Florence. Florence is really the only one. Again, two gold stars. So they go over to Arthur's <laughs> house. Oh um, fucking God. And Florence is like, Julia, you're staying with me. And she's like, Crunch, you and Arthur go do a thing. I don't care. <laughs> Have fun. Don't stay out late. So they're like, okay, we know when like the plot has changed and we can like take our sidestep out to the left. Right. So they go downtown <laughs> to Crunch's kind of apartment, which is kind of in this, I don't know, seedy. I don't I don't want to say seedy, but they describe it as seedy. So whatever. It's a seedy part of town. It's the apartment's yeah. like not that great. Everyone's judgmental. Everything's judgmental and it's like whatever. Um, mm. so then Crunch is really kind of upset the whole time and he's, Arthur's trying to figure out what's happening. So finally Crunch tells Arthur, it's interesting. At first Crunch is like, maybe I'll find someone else that you like better. And maybe you should find a girl to get with. And Arthur's like, what are you talking about? Say it straight. And Crunch mm-hmm. is like, I slept with Julia. And Arthur's like, oh, that's really terrifying and awful because Julia is actually 14 and a minor and I think she's in a dire emotional state with her father. And so that's really, I feel like that's a violation of her personal space, her boundaries and her vulnerabilities. No, that's actually not what Arthur's mad about. Arthur's actually just mad that Crunch is cheating on him, which I mean, fair, I suppose. (laughs) But, you know, on the grand scheme of things, maybe there is something a little bit more important to the story, but it's fine. Mm. But... (laughs) Then Arthur's like, well, Arthur does point out, it's like, didn't you just say Julia's a kid? So why would you sleep with her if you thought she was a kid? Or do you think I'm a kid? Are we all kids? Who's a kid? What's adult? What's adulthood? What's growing up? Anyway, everyone's confused. Oh, God. And they basically are talking about their insecurities. And Crunch is like, no, it's not like that. I can't tell you what's happening. I can't tell you what's going on. But I need you to be friends with Julia. I need you to watch out for her. Again, Crunch has some 
a very misplaced idea of his nobility in this situation, but whatever, let's keep him pushing. So that's what he tells Arthur to do. And Arthur's like, I don't entirely know what's going on, but yeah, I'll do it. I'll take care of her. Crunch gets drafted and Arthur is depressed about it. He messes Crunch. They're really close. His dad kind of notices. He's like, yeah, you and Crunch sure were close. And And Arthur's mama low key was like, (laughs) was like, and Crunch your heart like low key. And like, Arthur was like, not you clocking my tea. Like, are you serious (laughs) right now? Like, mom, honestly, yeah, like they they peep it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, everyone's kind of aware and it's unspoken but unspoken. And then, but Julia has been hanging out at Crunch's place downtown to avoid her father. But it's kind of getting too difficult because the landlady is suspicious of Julia and Julia's young and it's scary and she's 14 (laughs) and it's terrifying. So one night Arthur goes to the movies with Julia and then they go back to the Miller's place and Arthur sees firsthand like Joel in a drunken stupor, basically about to sexually assault his daughter before he realizes Arthur is there. And then... Arthur like understands what the depth of the danger is and Julia's like I just want to get out of here like I just want to escape and that is the depressing end of part one of this episode again take a breather you don't have to come back for thoughts and feelings you know there are funnier episodes a time to dance is a wonderful episode oh yes um Um, Trying to think of other oh Ghost Bride also hilarious. really funny episodes so fucking fun Kingdom of Souls oh, chaotic also hilarious, hilarious also throwback here but Deadweight um that was a summer short oh, that we God. did like two summers ago also murder mystery I mean uh, I mean totally that was all over the place but also a funny <laughs> episode you know we kind of love to see it you know it's you know it's what's other... also another throwback Dread Nation hilarious period uh, oh, yes so zombies. Mm. This is not Absolutely. one of those episodes. Unearth we're briefly gorgeous. Not that's also one that's a little dark. So don't yeah. don't choose that one. But um, all right, we'll be back. See you soon. Yes. And we're back. Woo! So yes, everyone. Um, yes, we know that this is a. This this is a very heavy read. Um, a lot of things going on, but um, certainly there's a lot of a lot of thoughts. Kind of want to yeah. get I want to get into here. Mm-hmm. So, I guess I can start. So, this book is it's complicated. This is a re- I'm very torn with this book. Not gonna lie to y'all, mm. I'm very torn. There are a lot of elements of this book that I really, really love. I mm. think, for instance, I mean, I mean, come, I mean, it's written by James Baldwin. Like, yeah. clearly, the writing is sickening. Like, I think it just kind of goes without saying that the writing is fucking phenomenal. Um, to Akko's question at the beginning of the episode, I love how affectionate the interactions are mm-hmm. i just love the descriptions of people like holding hands kissing again not even romantically but just like being physically like just showing these physical signs of intimacy with one another and that kind of transcending any sort of like i don't know heteronormative like rules or whatever like just people mm-hmm. being able to just exist i love the direction of some of the the arcs prim- primarily kind of how the book handles um, I guess queerness with respect to Arthur and Crunch's relationship. Like I liked how, cause I was expecting mm. like, Oh, we're going to get a narrative of like, 
you know, they both have never been in a queer relationship before. One of them's going to be closeted or like feel like they need to like hide it or like the parents are going to wall out. Like I, I was very much expecting that, but I loved how it was like crunch of Arthur. I mean, to be fair, it was like a little quick, a little quick, a little fast, <laughs> but it was, it was, it was never a question of like, Oh, should we be together? Or like, should we do this? It was like, Oh, like I fucks with you. You fucks with me. Wear it out. Like we here, mm-hmm. like we're good. And like, I, 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 and I liked this sort of the, tacit acceptance of their relationship and i also liked how it kind of showed and we this is something we've talked about before but like it kind of showcases that acceptance doesn't have to look white right mm. and so like the ways in which like their families responded i mean in some ways it's, it, it's a spoken like oh like crunches your heart like whatever but like other mm. moments it's like they just know but it's like we, we cool like you know it's yeah, whatever it's so serious. i kind of like that mm-hmm. piece um but then you know, and Same. also, it's kind of nice to see it before the 21st century because I think there's a misconception mm. that <laughs> black people haven't dealt with queerness as if you had right. a group of people could not deal with queerness. And that exactly. it, they're only like someone else has a more progressive take on it. Mm. But James Baldwin is like literally antithetical to that whole hypothesis. If anyone right. would just read James Baldwin, that would they'd be quickly, you know, dissuaded of that notion but it still persists so i i liked that and it's first of all if there are two things that get erased it's it's black culture as a culture (laughs) like that has a way of doing things and queerness as something that existed before the 21st century which is also false and i think Mm -hmm. james baldwin's writing this you know with um what's his name hall not hall yeah hall talking to his son and mm-hmm. Paul talking to Hall, you see a continuity of queer black love. Mm, right. That's not really demonized or looked down upon. Um, again, so that's just a, a history that has always existed that we can't pretend right. it's real. So that's right. all. <laughs> no, absolutely. And, and I'm so glad you said that because, yeah, it there is a... It's not to take away from like homophobia that did exist during this time, especially when he's talking about the McCarthy era and stuff, you know, era and stuff, you know, that certainly does happen. And like, I think there are, there are moments where, you know, Arthur, I mean, they have directly, but also people. Yeah. They do things very quietly. And, and sorry, I interrupted. No, I was just going to say, um, you know, it's like they, it's not that it comes with zero risk, but I think that there's, what I like is that there's not this narrative of like, as your family, I need to be fucking violent and homophobic mm-hmm. and terrible because the world's going to treat you like shit. So, like, I got to prepare you for the world. I feel like a lot of people hear that. A lot of people <sighs> hear that. And it's, it's nice to see a family where they're like, look, the world is kind of shit, but, like, I mean, here, y'all good in this safe. house. Like, exactly. We're, like, we good here. Which makes like, more sense. It makes Just more makes sense. more sense. If right. the world is terrible. That's like being like, we oh, we're in, like, um, the wilderness and we have, like, one place where there's, like, a fire and shelter. And you're like, well, the rest of the forest is a wilderness, so I guess I'll take away your fire here, too. Mm, <laughs> like, right. why would you do that? Like, why? Why? Who who wins exactly? <laughs> so, okay, so you traumatized me earlier. Great. Thanks. Like, uh, who wins? Some, there should be somewhere where people can rest, right? Definitely. Your home, be, yeah, home, by definition, should be that. Anyway. Anyway, that's actually, that's, and, and, you know, no one really gets, well, Arthur gets that, but Julia doesn't, right? Home is very much not where she rests. Anyway, continue. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so, like, so I do like 
that. And I feel like the the depiction of black masculinity here is like, you know, I'm like, it, it, it does read a lot more affectionate, a lot more just like, you know, kind of men being expressive, a lot of men crying and like holding on to each other and like mm. shit like that. So like things like that, you know, cute. We love that. We love to see it. Um, mm. I will say too, it's interesting because this book was published in 1979. So this is like right before the AIDS epidemic of the 80s and, and yeah. onwards. So it's interesting kind of reading this in the in a pre-HIV AIDS That's time really, period. Really um, point. And how that kind of informs like the way it's written and like the, the narratives there. So this so would also make, to me, it, it, it does kind of illuminate a moment of queer history of like, okay, what did it mean to explore like relationships and pleasure like without a fear queer of. sex being so deeply pathologized to the yeah. way that it is right now so so it's just so beasties like that i find really really i think tldr i think the book handles queerness actually very well mm-hmm. oh with a nuance that is brilliant yes and th- th- there's some nuances that i do want to talk about but you know i do think it handles that well mm-hmm. i i guess i mean in it's specifically in like and not hierarchying like one type of queerness, like a, a, a like the masculine one being right. better, and you know what I mean. Like that sometimes happens, right. but it does. There's a lot more nuance in what queerness means as opposed to assigning roles per se. Um, exactly, that was brilliant. But sorry, absolutely, no, absolutely. And and I also just one thing I I love too that this is just queer relationships between black men which mm. is wild how <laughs> rare that shit is to find i feel like every time in or at least in mainstream media it feels like whenever there's not even just honestly not even just black men i think just men of color i feel like a lot of the media depictions it tends to be like there's always a white guy somewhere somewhere involved yeah. in the narrative where it's like or even just like i mean sometimes you'll find like interracial relationships but like i feel like it's very hard to find an intro racial like black queer like b- two black queer men specifically like in yeah, a relationship I exploring agree. like i find that it is very difficult to find and so even just seeing that laid out is also just really really nice to see yeah um that being said all those all those things we love to see it we love to see mm-hmm. it ooh we love to see it child these women <laughs> these women in this it's book insulting. It's, it's almost insulting actually it it's, is insulting. it's 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 so <laughs> it's so jarring because so this is and, and maybe we can shelve some of these thoughts for because i also want to make space for for you to share but mm-hmm. um you know, when we were talking about Giovanni's room with Malavika, which shout out, by the way, if you haven't listened to that episode on your favorite book podcast, yeah, do that. Um, really phenomenal discussion, Malavika, sickening. Mm. Anyway, so when we were talking about Giovanni's room, it was interesting because we were talking about like queer misogyny and like how women showed up in that book. And it was interesting because it was like, okay, the women weren't depicted, like, like, you know, characters like Hella and stuff weren't depicted. Like, like, I feel like, the theme there was that like the men in that book were misogynistic, but it kind of like, I don't know, given who David was, given who like we didn't how everything was, <laughs> right? Like, it, like I think maybe that was it. Like you just didn't expect shit. Like you were like, okay, like everyone here like kind of sucks, like or like at least has like their demons. Where it's like, okay, this type of cultural bias or oppression is not made yeah. acceptable. Like I'm not gonna say that, but like it's like given who the characters were, like it is like you know what it is. It doesn't feel like the author is co-signing their behavior. You're like, oh, this is what they would do because they're misogynistic exactly. men. Who exactly, don't exactly, exactly. And you're like, oh yeah, I get right. what he's writing on. In this right. book, I start to see that James Baldwin, the author, does not entirely understand 
woman. <laughs> mm, <laughs> and maybe by exactly. understand, I'm more like mean. Uh, it, it, sexism is a lack of imagination. Sexism is an, it, every ism is a lack of imagination, but it's an inability to conceptualize a group of people with the same agency and depth that you conceptualize yourself and you see them more as fixtures in someone else's narrative. Mm. And this book doesn't do that. Baldwin is better than most, but not without fault. And right. the faults are pretty glaring in this one. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I cut you off. I know. I mean, literally, that's that's. I mean, period. That's kind of where my <laughs> head was. Like, I think, I think that's. I think you you named it so beautifully. That's exactly it, right? Like, it feels like. With Giovanni's room, okay, this feels consistent with the characters. In this book, it's like, okay, this just feels like a, I don't know, some 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 awareness gaps of the author. Um, mm-hmm. I hate hate Julia's arc. It is honestly, it's just the more I just get more and more upset about it. The more I think about, it. like, I'm laughing because mm. I'm like, oh my god, I like hate, like, just oh, like it's just one of those things where it's oh, like, deeply, god deeply. damn, like what, like it's just it, it's so like. What you said during the plot summary just like really like landed like as far as like I just feel like no one's really checking for her like no like, I'm like no. does no one is no is anyone looking out for this girl is anybody like hey like I mean and especially I mean if nothing else like I mean Julia is among the youngest I mean the mm-hmm. second youngest in this cohort right of like I mean, Arthur there's and Cr- so much care like it's very clear the violence that's happening to Jimmy and the need to to protect him and take about ice cream and console him. Mm-hmm. And yet no one seems, I mean, Florence and Paul do see it, but no one seems mm-hmm. that that aware or that concerned about the violence, uh, the Egg. very cold violence that is happening to Julia for such a long time. Right. Um, and I think, you know, one part of abuse is the action. The sexual abuse is the, the action itself is abusive and traumatizing. Mm-hmm. And the second layer of that abuse is the atmosphere, the affect of the household that she lives in between her mother's jealousy, which is an abuse in of itself, and mm-hmm. his, her father's emotional manipulation and over-reliance. And, and quite frankly, the, the, her parents' immaturity, even before we mm-hmm. get to the sexual abuse, there's no absolutely no reason your nine-year-old should be the breadwinner, quote-unquote, in your family to the detriment of themselves and the manipulation of their, you know, spiritual beliefs. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was, it's, it's, it's akin to child stars and the abuse there and, and the lack of care of this person's, this childhood and this adultification of a black girl, which, right. who was surprised by the adultification of black girls? And when I say who was surprised, I merely mean society seems particularly okay with the over adultification and sexualization of black girls and, and and not concerned at all with the deep intrinsic ethereal beauty of another human being because of their skin and gender and what mm-hmm. that violence and that compounded responsibility does to a person and 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 past that that it is deeply deeply unfair and therefore immoral, mm. and therefore sinister, and therefore wrong, and it should be upsetting to people <laughs> to hurt a girl this much. And Crunch mm. is not helping. <laughs> I don't care what Crunch thinks he's doing. At yeah, 20. that shit was late. You're not helping. You're not helping, and and it's upsetting. It, you know, everyone else seems to get 
intimacy seems to get, you know, a, a love, a closeness. And, and Julia doesn't so far. And the way Hall talks about her in the future, I don't think she, <laughs> at least from Hall <laughs> or the other characters, I don't think she really gets it later. And again, not to go back to the bingo love where I talked about that man who was talking about how the, the, the main character in this story just wanted her brother to be okay. But I was reading this, I was like, is this another mm-hmm. story where people are just going to assume the only thing that Julia wants is to take care of Jimmy? That That's all she wants. That's it. Mm. The girl with a with a a poetic ability so brilliant that at nine she could stop a church sermon. All that girl wants is to make sure Jimmy is okay. I mean, right? Really, yo, like Jimmy, <laughs> who fucking hates Julia, by the way, who hates who her, literally, shown, is yes, openly shown, antagonistic towards her, yes, and who, out of the two of them, is the one who's safe. He's in New Orleans right. with his grandmother, not being abused and not having to deal with this. And yet she has to think about someone else's becoming. And it's it's so frustrating to me. And, you know, he he does the same thing with Ruth. I'm not going to get into it because I, I was a bit kind of annoyed with Ruth's description. He does the same thing with Martha. And I I think that there is a space for men to become more aware of their intimacy and their vulnerabilities and still be just deeply deeply sexist and that's probably how Mm -hmm. it's been for so long right (laughs) like oh yes oh yes 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 it's really frustrating um i do think some parts that he writes about julia are very impressively insightful and it's almost i feel like the only times he kind of can write her more clearly is when he sees this kind of queerness in julia sort of there's a point where she he describes her as having a boyish charm and i can see that in julia very charming Mm -hmm. you know i also get kind of have been described as having kind of a boyish charm at times so i kind of get what he's writing there it's not necessarily a queerification of julia in her sexuality in particular but rather like her her disposition and her way of emoting but that's Mm -hmm. those are the only times where i feel like james really kind of digs in deep with julia i mean (laughs) she gets that and no one else really my irritation is that, and it's the same irritation I had with Vivek. I, I just have it across the board. Women are not just fixtures in other people's becoming. They're not. They're not just like nothings. <laughs> We're not just mm-hmm. nothings. <laughs> I feel like I'm disassociating. <laughs> but um, girls are people. <laughs> we have feelings. We have thoughts, and and we have aspirations, and those need to be taken into consideration. And so I feel mm-hmm. like there's not enough depth to the violence that is done to julia and i feel like there's not enough understanding of the existential effect and i'm mm. a little irritated too i'm kind of glad we talked to, i don't love to i'm not ecstatic to talk about sexual abuse obviously but you, you know I, I i i do feel like sexual abuse happens a lot in society like I think more than people really want to talk about it. It's it's like a pretty mm-hmm. large issue across genders and across races right. and social classes. And your childhood becomes altered. And again, it's not just the act. It's also the situation that you, you live in that can cause certain amounts of PTSD. And the feeling of being trapped, which Arthur and, and Hall and them don't have, right? There's a certain freedom mm-hmm. that they have that, that Julia doesn't, which makes it so much worse but my point is Mm -hmm. no one is thinking about the effect on this person's growing up their childhood and their becoming because of this behavior 
like you've basically just taken this time from this this person you've adultified her at nine Mm -hmm. (laughs) and for people who've gone through that you know you have to grow up differently you there there's a frustration in in growing up narratives because they don't address Mm -hmm. what happens if your your childhood becomes altered by like someone else's bad behavior um Mm -hmm. i don't think (laughs) james baldwin really examines that (laughs) why not i don't know why put this in if you're not going to examine it i don't know whatever your choice i didn't write the book but i i i do want to say that that if this is a if i i wish someone would talk about it with a little bit more uh i guess if you read i know what the cage bird sings maybe you'll that's that's that you'll probably get a better view of it anyway Mm -hmm. if you got this far and you have dealt with this stuff by the way just also this is gonna sound random but it's not your fault (laughs) i know i'm a stranger on the internet and you don't know me but it's not your fault it's really not and mm-hmm. you will be okay and it's not your fault okay you're lovely and you're valuable and nothing that's happened to you changes that at all mm-hmm. so all right we can <laughs> move on before i like <laughs> blow my lid i'm so moderately pissed but anyway yeah uh let me talk about things i liked maybe <laughs> maybe <laughs> yes um Obviously, it's beautifully written. It's James Baldwin. What do you want me to say? It's poetic. I mean, his descriptions mm-hmm. of things, tactile. He's very tactile. And I don't think he shies away from the nittiness, nitty-grittiness of human humanness. The, and I, don't, I just mean like the smell of people, the feel of people, the touch of people. He describes that all. It does feel very unearth or briefly gorgeous-esque. Where he really... Mm. And so when the description is beautiful, it's beautiful and when the description is something very human very not that humans aren't beautiful very tactile yeah, i'm trying i guess gross is what i'm trying to go for it's so beautifully written <laughs> how do you say gross without saying gross tactile mm. um yeah. anyway and it makes sense because the funk movement is happening now and the funk movement wasn't just like music which is also great but it was also this reclamation mm. of the disgust um and the vitriol because whiteness tries to uglify the black body and 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 so i can see little tenements of the funk philosophy oh okay yeah okay i know it's cool it's cool it's cool that's why he uses the word funky a couple of times which he didn't really use in giovanni's room but um what was i gonna say even though he's talking about the same like kind of concept in there mm-hmm. what else was i gonna say yeah, I think that there's a, there's a, and he, you know what James Baldwin does so brilliantly? If you really want to understand how racism feels, just read James Baldwin. Like, I, I he just describes mm. the atmosphere of racism. James Baldwin understands racism so well that he's like dissected it. And in his dissection of it makes it, its bigness goes away. You completely understand what it is. It doesn't make it any less frightening, but it becomes understandable legible legible not understandable like i oh mm-hmm. i understand where you're coming from but legible I'm like yeah that's the word i wanted to put to that icky feeling <laughs> that i couldn't quite place my finger on and i, I think that's mm-hmm. very relieving for anyone who's experienced that type of cognitive dissonance so I, I i that's been a great service to us and if you were white and wanted to understand racism and the dread of it and the perpetuation of it in america and the sheer horror that you've caused other people to feel maybe you could read this Mm. and understand it or you could shy away from it and we could all not deal with our problems 
and censor books in schools and pretend that's a good idea. What, Marcy? What was your thought? (laughs) (laughs) Wow, I love that. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I definitely... That definitely that definitely tracks. I feel, I feel like <laughs> sorry, that caught me off guard. No, there was literally a part where um, I think it was during that subplot with like Hall and like uh, the, the Christmas gifts or whatever. Where like mm. it, there was a scene where like he's like in a convenience store or like somewhere like just oh or, like clothing God, store yes. somewhere. Yes, getting some items for his family and like it just like the descriptions of like how the white people were acting were just like. Mm-hmm so salient and i feel like i don't know i feel like i'm literally a broken record like i i'm just like the why is this shit still track like why does right. this read like it happened yesterday like i'm literally alarmed but mm-hmm. yeah absolutely to your point i think the feelings of racism are really really beautifully described and there's a there's a so like I, I i feel like you know right now i think we're in this moment where we're talking about kind of that early i'm not gonna say this first time this is happening but i think right now there's a particular acknowledgement of like the intersection of like racism and horror. I'll actually expand that to say just oppression and horror and just sort of the day to day horrific elements that that can introduce into one's life. And I think that like, for example, when you're reading like the parts of the South, like yes. it, it really, I'm just like, you feel just like deeply unsettled to a point where I'm like, Oh my God, like this is, it's like the, the communication of feeling here is like very, very salient. Um, yes. And it very much, it, it very much tracks. So like, I don't know. It's like, I, I think that there is a, I mean, I'm not going to be like, it's just written so well. Cause like that's late. Like of course <laughs> it's written well, but like, I don't know. There's, there's definitely to your point. I think absolutely like the feeling of things is just described really well. And I feel like there's all, yeah. I mean, I don't know. We saw this in Giovanni's room. I think we're seeing it here. They're just like these random pontifications where like, Hall will just like go into like some deep philosophical deep dive or like some shit relating to like something tangentially <laughs> like that just happened, but like we'll like just hop back where I'm like, that might make sense to me in like 10 years. Um, yes. so, like, it's just, yeah, like moments like that where I'm like, this book is so insightful. Um, yeah. and there's certainly a lot to unpack to learn. So, yeah, but it's just it's so uh, it's just such a, it's a complicated great book. book. Yeah, it what is. were we gonna say? Oh, I was going to say another thing he describes really well is attraction and sex being both frightening, disgusting, and beautiful. And I really Mm. liked that complication of emotions because I think sometimes I get turned off. My my emotions tend to to come at me very complexly before I can simplify them. I know for other people, it's the other way around. It's a very simple first emotion. And then you delve in and you figure out there's layers. And so sometimes the first thing that will hit me is the complexity of the emotion and and sometimes a negative emotion, even if the overall emotion would be described as a positive one. And that's not Mm -hmm. something people always write to. I think people write a very, (laughs) is there like a privileged emotional expression? Yes, there is. If you, if you don't emote in the like majority way, you kind of know what I'm talking about. But, um, Mm-hmm. But what I really liked about this is that he starts with the complicated feelings of emotions, the weird way that they are like 18 emotions in one emotion. Um, and so it's it's not that it's bad that Arthur's frightened about his feelings, both when he's making out with that girl and Crunch. It, but it's just like if I were to if 
he's honest honest that's what it is it's honest it's an mm. authentic it's not an over glorification it's not an oversimplification it's honest a feeling mm-hmm. of terror but also delight disgust and beauty and fright it's it's quite i felt very i liked it a lot it and then he, you know arthur asked these questions that i also have where he's like is this my life is this who i am now is this me and this sort of like jutting in and out of of being in reality and out of it and being like wait this mm-hmm. is how people said life is. is is this who i am is this what does it mean to be this person i thought was really on an existential level like you know there's always i, I had a professor in college who was talking about like what is the black existential experience and uh, because, you know, white existentialism, you know, talks about this like self outside of all social norms and like realities. And you're like, well, violence in the U.S. American culture makes that sort of a moot point, because if you want to transcend existence, you'll be very quickly reminded that you are, in fact, existing. Um, but <laughs> but, you know, I kind of see in here this existential discussion, which is really, um, really, really dope. <laughs> <laughs> all that mm. to say it was really dope so <laughs> yeah yeah no that's real that's real <sighs> all right well anyway yada 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 so the outro here we go <laughs> <laughs> i will say before we lazily transition to our outro one thing i did want to say just um, about the queerness really quickly that yeah, i thought no. was interesting was that um Something that I and, and I'm curious how this will pan out in part two. So that's kind of why I was like, should I say this? I'll just, I'll just say it. We'll see how how part two handles this. Yeah, sure. But it was interesting because I found that like queerness and queer attraction was very like ubiquitous. Like it felt like damn near. Oh, I mean, to be fair, I mean the men in question. I don't really see like the women being described with a similar sexual fluidity. But um, you know, of a lot of the men described in the book, there is kind of this idea of like, oh, like back in the day when I was younger, you know, I used to like fuck around with a, a man or two mm, or whatever. It's an age thing. And it kind of positions it at, like queerness as being like inherently like young or like immature yeah. or like, something about it just not being fully developed. And a part of me kind of makes me think of like, kind of like when Crunch was talking to Arthur and he was like, you need to grow up and like blah, blah, blah. Like yeah. I was like, was this, is this subtext of saying that like, if he only has an attraction to Crunch and like people like Crunch that that in itself communicate, I don't know. Like, I, I was no, kind of curious. About, I think you've made a very good point. Yeah. So that was, that piece was really interesting and it kind of made me think of like the zeitgeist of the time where I'm like, is the idea that like, kind of in the way that like right now there's this idea of like oh like you know it's a phase like blah 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 like you'll grow out of it i'm like were were some of those inklings kind of rooted in that time i guess like to what extent is this like how how old is this narrative basically is kind of like quite old i I, a question that came up to me yeah i I, you know and i don't think queerness was so divorced from like status and by status i don't just mean like wealth i mean like Mm -hmm. like like station in life like your age and your like sociopolitical power and how you present and you know what I mean? And, and mm. I mean, if you even just like go back to Roman times, right? Like, and also, also not to get back to sexism, but yeah, I think the idea that like men could have lovers of any type and kind because like, right. you're a man, you get to have everything. And if you're a powerful man, I mean, really <laughs> who's going right. to, you know, sexuality is a matter of power and who you could have whatever you want. If you're strong enough, it, it's not really a matter of, you know, I think there's a, it, it, and you see it here, and I think this is where the sexism towards women, why it's so strong, is because women are a matter of status. Like, 
you're, you're, mm. the sexual relationships are necessary. That's the that's the break, right? The break is like this isn't a matter of status. This isn't a matter of youth. This isn't a matter of 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 childishness. This is a matter of genuine affection of love, and that's what makes mm. it radical. Whereas in a lot of yeah. times it would be it would be power. Now is that same is that the same radical love extended to women in this novel? <laughs> Hilarious. If, no, but um, <laughs> if you think that our interpretation is <laughs> a lie, you know? let's just cut it off. Let's just just hang it up. Right? <laughs> um, you could tell us on Twitter at the Color Pages or Instagram at these Color Pages, or hey, we just said people email us sometimes, so you could also email us at these Color Pages at gmail dot com, or we have a website. That's right, a website these Color Pages dot come woo yes 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 and if this show brought you any love light delight mm, yes please leave us some love wherever you're listening to this podcast could be apple podcast could mm. be spotify could be tune in stitch it podcast pod spreaker is that one where uh, spree- spree- <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, yes <laughs> listen to aqua y'all so yeah so the podcast anyway um so leave us a comment rating review wherever you're listening to this podcast truly wherever the fuck at this mm-hmm. point because barely shit we don't know <laughs> um and you know if you enjoyed this episode and you were like you know what I, there's someone in my life that just really needs these like kind of like deep explorations of like what you know queerness could look like back in the day between like black men and like all the things but also like being i don't know like a very complex narrative that lists a lot of thoughts too send this whatever value you gain from this episode send this to someone in your life that you deeply care about someone you mm-hmm. think might benefit benefit from this and then from there give them i don't warning. know give them a warning though yeah, yeah. Give them a give, yeah. give them a warning, and you know, because of that same you know warning, like maybe don't throw your phone into like a river or like into traffic or like what <laughs> the fuck I usually say. Like maybe just like actually text them back and just like answer follow up questions. Like I think that would be a more responsible way of handling that interaction, and those actions certainly do help us to grow. Oh, um, because we absolutely love when when things are even more colorful. Now, uh, next time we'll be getting into part two of this novel, and we'll get into the nitty and the gritty. But um, between now and then, Aqua, is there anything else we should leave our listeners with before we head out? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> just until we meet next time. Just remember to stay, stay colorful. colorful.